Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. Thoughts and comments expressed here are the opinions of Chad and Lou, and not necessarily those of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studios. Caution, this show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Welcome to episode 13 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on pretty much whatever topic you want. I'm your host, Chad Knight, and alongside me is Captain Lou Albano. I mean, Lou Schwabach. This episode, we'll be continuing our series about songs that feature one single word in common in their title. This week's word is bad. Bad can take many different connotations, from actually meaning good, such as badass, or just as it is uh, intended in the opposite of good. Today, we'll be talking about some bad songs from a range of artists, so get down with your bad self and relax while we get this show started. Now, let's just preface this here. Just because they are, finger quotes, bad songs doesn't mean they're bad songs. Correct. We are using the word bad in the title. Right. Now, if we want to talk about shitty songs, I'm sure we can do one of those later. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about such topics as that, so I don't see why we couldn't do an episode called Shitty Songs. Sounds like an idea for down the road. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and kick this one off. Please do. Uh, I'm going to kick this one off with Bad Boys. It is a 1987 song by the Jamaican reggae band Inner Circle, which obtained high popularity in the United States after its re-release in 1993. You know they can't see the finger quotes, right? But they can hear them. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Tell me you can't hear finger quotes because you, you, you extend the word. You say it a little bit more intensely i suppose see like i can say lou you're an asshole no finger quotes right no because i know that but then i could say lou you're an asshole well yeah but then it still means the same thing (laughs) i know but what i'm saying is they can tell when i'm finger quoting okay i think if not right into us i mean tell us that i'm an idiot okay anyway uh where was i Hi. Hi. Yes, which obtained high popularity in the United States after its re-release in 1993, peaking at number 8 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 7 on the Top 40 Mainstream. It is well known as the opening theme to the U.S. TV show Cops. You will remember this clip, I'm sure. The song was originally released in 1987 on the album One Way and obtained minor airplay and poor sales. However, in 1992, it was also included on the Bad to the Bone album, and the song was released as a single in 1993 after the unexpected success of their previous international hit single, Sweat. (laughs) Bad Boys reached number 52 in the United Kingdom and number 8 in the United States, uh, in the latter territory, it was certified gold and sold 600,000 copies. The song was released as a B-side on Inner Circle's 1992 s- single, Sweat, 
The song was also released as a single in mid-1991 in Norway. It peaked at number one for three weeks. The song makes reference to Sheriff John Brown, who was the sheriff killed in Bob Marley's song, I Shot the Sheriff. What do you think, Lou? My dad used to watch Cops all the time, and it's still, it's a fun show to watch, and of course, you, you know the song. Everybody knows this song. Uh, fun little story, actually. My cousin got his first, I think it was speeding ticket or whatever. Okay. And so, of course, my uncle told my dad, and my dad commissioned me to make a, a CD, like a soundtrack type CD. It included that song, as well as I Fought the Law, The Law One. And I Can't Drive 55, and other such entertaining songs. <laughs> which is how my family rolls, which I find it pretty damn funny, actually. It, that is actually kind of funny. So, what do you got for us? Well, we're going to actually keep with the driving theme, actually. Okay. And I got Bad Motor Scooter by Montrose. <laughs> when I saw that on your list before we started, just in all fairness, I laughed. Because I have not thought of that song. And I probably couldn't sing a part of it to you right now if I wanted to. But I just remember the, the song and the fact that it was kind of a fun song. Oh, it is. And we'll just, we'll take a quick little clip right here and take a listen. So get on your bed, featuring then-unknown Sam Hagar. He actually went by Sam. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. On lead vocals, gave us this 1973 hit off their self-titled debut album. Of course. Yep. Um, this Sammy Hagar pen song almost wasn't, though, as legendary producer Ted Templeton looked at it and thought it was kind of meh. And meh? It, yeah, just kind of like, meh, whatever. Okay. It lacked a hook that made it stood out as unique, or stand out as unique. The hook that sold him, however, was the revving guitar riff from the beginning of the song that was conceived by Ronnie Montrose while just playing around in the studio. The rest, as they say, is history. Sammy still plays the song live, and either he, himself, or some guy named Joe Satriani Who? exactly plays the rev up. Other bands have done similar work with the guitars trying to sound like engines. The first one that comes to mind is Motley Crue's Kickstart My Heart off of 1989's Dr. Feelgood, yep. which, as I mentioned, was the first CD I ever bought. And I just remember hearing the Motley Crue song and being enamored by the revving of the guitar. And then, of course, after listening to it, my dad's like, you know, Montrose already did that, which opened my eyes to another band and another version of Sammy Hagar. Well, there you go. Now, I like I said, I remember the song. For some reason, I can't draw into my mind what the song is. But, you know... Sammy Hagar, for, for all the hate and venom I have for Sam Hagar, you know, I think the more that we've been doing this this show, I think that, that that hate is just misplaced from the fact that he replaced David Lee Roth. Okay, yeah, I can buy that. Because as you bring more and more Sammy Hagar stuff, I'm like, hey, that was a good song. Hey, that that's not so bad. Just forget that he's part of Van Halen and just think of him as Sammy Hagar for a while. I, I, I might give that a shot. So, yeah, um... Up next, I'm going to go kind of really old school, Bad Bad Leroy Brown by Jim Croce. Oh, yes. The song's title character is a man from the south side of Chicago who, due to his size and attitude, has a reputation as the baddest man in the whole damn town. <laughs> One day in a bar, he makes a pass at a pretty married woman named Doris. 
Doris. God, I love the names from the 60s, don't you? It's just, I think of true lies, Boris and Doris. Yes, yes. <laughs> Whose jealous husband proceeds to beat Leroy brutally in the ensuing fight. In the end, Leroy Brown learns a lesson from his painful experience. Leroy Brown looked like a jigsaw puzzle with a couple pieces gone. Here, take a listen to this snippet. During the lyrics about the fight, some background voices are heard quietly speaking. The story is a widely feared man being bested in a fight in a similar to Croce's earlier song, You Don't. Bad Bad Leroy Brown is a song written by American folk rock singer uh, Jim Croce, released as part of his 1973 album Life and Times. The song was number one pop hit for him, spending two weeks at the top of the Billboard Hot 100 in July 1973. Billboard ranked it as number two song for 1973. Croce was nominated for two 1973 Grammy Awards in the Pop Male Vocalist and Record of the Year categories for Bad Bad Leroy Brown. It was his last number one single before he died, before his death on September 20th of that year. It shows how fleeting things can be. I mean, he gets this number one hit. It's not his only number one hit, but it was his latest number one hit. And then he died, which is bad. One could, I guess, boil it down to that, yes. <laughs> All right. So I, just, so I just find it comical that, you know, of course, he's so, such a badass and then he gets his ass kicked. Yeah. And I mean, to the point where they say, you know, he looked like a jig jigsaw puzzle with pieces missing. How bad do you have to have your ass kicked to look that way? Oh, my God. I mean, it just makes me think of the Johnny Cash boy named Sue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he uh, came up with a knife and took off a piece of my ear. Yeah, exactly. So what do you got up next? Next we have one that's a little bit comical, actually. It's the Bad Touch by the Bloodhound Gang. Okay. Now, can anyone who has seen this music video and hear the song not see the guys in the monkey suits? I am not familiar with the song. Oh, I'm sure that you've probably heard it at least some uh, Okay, it's possible, before. but it's that's not ringing any bells. Well, let's uh well, let's just take a listen and see if this rings any bells. Do it now. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Do it again now. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. For those who haven't, let me just clarify. No, I don't mean literal monkey suits, like a suit and tie. I'm talking about full-on monkey suits with tails and ears and... Now, monkeys are... Well, you said tails, so monkeys, not gorillas. Correct. Not a gorilla suit. No, like chimpanzee. Okay. And blow darts. Bl blow darts. Blow darts. The song has more... Tipped with what kind of drugs? Yeah, it depends <laughs> what the rest of the, what you're thinking on this one. <laughs> but the song is more spoken than sung, and it's, it's an ode to sex. It pseudo-raps about all kinds of pop culture things, but in the end, it leads back to the same topic. What's really funny is that a few of the things that they mentioned, I didn't get right away. Such as, smothered and covered like my Waffle House hash browns. How did you not get that? I was from the Midwest, and I never had Waffle House before. Okay, I guess. And it meant nothing to me until I got a chance to try out Waffle House myself. They use diner lingo, smothered and covered means with onions and cheese. Um, I prefer mine covered, capped with mushrooms, and topped with chili. In case anyone's going to a Waffle House, bring me some 
ca covered cap and top hash browns. No, the song itself, I'm sure, you know, the You and Me Baby Ain't Nothing But Mammals, so like do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Right. You know the song. Yeah. The music video is unique. They blow dart some chefs and do like the Bugs Bunny thing with, you know, they did the carrot on the fishing pole. Okay. But they did French chefs with a baguette. Okay. That, and then they had mimes that were in there. Um, I think they blow darted girls in the butt. Um, yeah, it was... The Bloodhound Gang themselves are really a unique band, and they're pretty damn funny, actually. But yeah, this is one of those where it's like, what am I going to say? I don't know. I think I'm just going to go on to my next one. I think that's a good idea. Which actually, strangely enough, also has to do with sex. <gasps> I know. We talk about sex and stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> my virgin years. Bad Obsession by Guns N' Roses. Uh, a number of songs on the album were written in the band's early days. They were not included on Appetite for Destruction, but can be found on the so-called Rumbo Tapes, a popular bootleg album of early demo tapes. Back Off Bitch, Bad Obsession, Don't Cry, uh, referred to by Rose during an ensuing tour for the first song they ever wrote together, November Rain, and The Garden are considered part of this group. There is also a cover of Paul McCartney and Wings' Live and Let Die. This song, which is often thought to be Axel's ode to kicking heroin, is about two things that are easy to become addicted to. One, as it, as I said, is heroin, and the second is women. Axel says through his doctor and his mother that you ain't special, so who you fooling? Don't try to give me no line. Here, let's take a listen. So this particular song is on Guns N' Roses' Use Your Illusion Part 1. I think it's a great song. It's a fun song if you don't take it too seriously, which I think is a way to listen to a lot of Guns N' Roses. If you don't take them too seriously, they tend to be very fun songs. If you don't read into it and try to analyze it. Right. Because then you start to try to analyze Axel and your brain's going to fucking explode. Oh, yeah. So what do you think, Lou? Uh... I have to say, and you're going to disagree, I think User Illusion 1 is the weaker of the two. I enjoy number two better. I honestly think that there, as far as which one I enjoy more, it is probably one. But I think as far as actual songwriting ability and actual showing a strength and breadth of being songwriters, I think you're right. Two is probably better. Part, and I will say, part of the reason I like 2 better was because of the song that they used in the Terminator 2 movie. Okay. Um, and that, and I just, uh, I believe Civil War was on there. Civil War was. Um, you Could Be Mine is actually on Use Your Illusion 1. No, it's not. I disagree with you, but we'll figure it out later. We'll have to look at them. I'm almost, I'm almost positive. I'm about 99% sure, but we'll figure that out later. Okay, but he's wrong. <laughs> okay. <what> if, <laughs> we might have to do a wager here. Um, but no, it's... I just remember that release because, I mean, they came out with both separate CDs and people bought one, but they wanted both and they kind of ran out of it. And I places. actually spent the $42, yes, $42 to buy the long pack. So it had both discs in it. Plus it had a little booklet. Okay. I don't know what, I rebought that set over and over. I think the last time I bought the entire set for $8. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a little, I mean, I understand why they did it. Um, I'm a little surprised that nowadays they don't just have like a, a two-disc set. 
I think they do. I think it's got the both covers and it's got a slash down. You got the okay. half yellow, half blue kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, I okay. think it's out there. All right. All right. So what do you got next? Next, we're going to go back to some glam metal. Okay. And we're going to do Don't Treat Me Bad by Firehouse. Okay. Um, 1991 is when the song was released. Um, Hair, also known as glam metal, was one of the defining styles of the 1980s. Arena rock and power ballads put out these put out by these bands infested the airwaves. I'm going to use infested because it really was. Oh yeah, it was everywhere. You could almost smell the Aquanet when Bon Jovi or Def Leppard came on. They probably owned stock. I would hope so. <laughs> you know, while they were fun to listen to, towards the middle of the late 80s, the glam era was seriously starting to wear thin. Um, it kind of wore out its welcome. Um, this power ballad, well, let's just take a listen before I go into it. Now, I, yeah. I, I want to say that it did wear its welcome thin, but not so much because of the music. It was more because of the way the bands acted, I think, That's with the excess it. and the women and, and all the... It's part of it, but at the same time, there's just so much you can listen to. It's kind of how grunge died, is because we got so watered down and overloaded on it, it's like, we don't want to listen to this anymore. Okay, I, I understand your argument. I'm a, I, go on. Okay. Um, this power ballad is about a guy and his relationship with a kind of a horrible woman. Um, she's not too nice to him, yet he's still groveling and wanting her back, pleading for her not to continue to treat him badly. This is one of the last glam hits before a little thing called grunge came along and kind of put the nail in the coffin, finishing off the era in hair metal bands. Uh, I was surprised to see that Firehouse actually is still active. Yes, they are. To this day, um... Then I saw that after this song, their popularity was pretty much relegated to Asia, South America, and Europe, and that kind of just made sense. Well, and that happens to a lot of the hair bands now. A lot of them, they tour in Europe and Asia all the time, and when they come through America, everybody's like, oh, it's a reunion tour, or it's this or it's that, <laughs> and it's it's really not. They're just, this is their leg, they're going to run through America again, because it's that time again. You know, and I know like a lot of state fairs, the Iowa State Fair, for example, like in one of the side stages, they have like a 80s whatever that has three or four 80s bands like Firehouse, Foreigner, Loverboy, all that kind of stuff right. together. And those sell out like crazy. Well, of course they do because guys like you and I now, we have money that we didn't have back in the 80s. Yeah. And we're like, there's, there's that nostalgia about it, and I don't know about the rest of the world, but in America, nostalgia sells oh, yeah. almost as good as sex. And you can look at nostalgia on the street and not get called dirty names. Right. I think. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just going to call you dirty names anyways. Okay, fair enough. So yeah, this song, I enjoyed it. I, I, I liked Firehouse back in the day. I did just read recently, and this is how I knew that they were still active, is that they're on an Asian tour, and I was like... Really? And because you know these bands they come and go and if you're not a, if you're not a you know if you're not a very big follower of a dedicated band fan. yeah, dedicated fan, you don't know what's going on. Oh no. And with that too, I mean there I just remember uh, this would have been like middle school era when this kind of band and stuff was coming through. Bands like uh, that and uh, Faster Pussycats mm -hmm. um, and all of this, I remember the the hair metal people. We had people in our high, in our junior high that were Aquanet people who were, had the, like, the long hair, feathered top and everything. So all of their CDs were all of these different ones. And just like, I knew it wasn't going to last. 
So, so you were not into the glam rock. I absolutely was not. I listened to the kind of the big names, you know, like your Def Leppard and things, but like the offshoot ones, like Dokken and and like I, the two that I mentioned before, never was really a fan. Okay, fair yeah, enough. Winger, that was another one. I don't. I, I still don't know how Winger made a career. I don't know anybody that was like Winger. It just it wasn't there. No, no. I mean, he wasn't really a hard rocker. He had some decent rock songs, but, right? You know, I mean, I think he was pretty. I think that's part of what the. Uh, so the women were buying the albums, probably, yeah. just to look at the pictures. I would say probably. That's possible. All right. So up next, we're gonna talk about one of those glam metal or not. I, well, it depends on the era they're in. Okay. One of those uh, glam rock bands, uh, Bon Jovi. So Bad Medicine. Speaking of Aquanet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. So Bad Medicine is a single by American rock band Bon Jovi. It was written by John Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora, and Desmond Child. I seem to recall you like Bon Jovi, I think. I do. Okay. I do. Um, I've seen them in concert. Uh, one of the best concerts I've ever been to. But, you know, and, and I, I don't say this often. But when I bought the tickets, I went kind of cheap. I was at the... Uh, the um, Nosebleeds? Yeah. I, there was literally three rows behind me <laughs> and the top of the house. Nice. And, I mean, they have so many big screens and everything that you didn't miss anything. But if I ever do it again, if I ever get a chance to go to another Bon Jovi concert, I will spend the money to at least be on the floor. Oh, yeah. You know, just because I think I think it's something that needs to be done. But anyway, uh, what I was going to say is John Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora, and Desmond Child, they wrote a good portion, especially of the early Bon Jovi music, together. That trio wrote a lot of them. It was released in September 1988 as the lead single from the band's album, New Jersey. Uh, the song is highlighted by a near-constant keyboard playing by David Bryan that is well-defined in the beginning of the song and at several interludes, as well as loud guitar being played by Richie Sambora. Background singing in the bridge and chorus, and a loud, fast-paced delivery of lyrics by John Bon Jovi. It is one of the more upbeat and hard-rocking songs on New Jersey. Towards the end of the song, John says he is running out of breath and has to go, but then relents, saying, I'm not done. One more time. With feeling. And the band finishes the song with another repeat of the chorus. Let's take a listen. There are two videos for this song, one with the band live in concert, which was very standard fare in the mid and late 80s. Oh, yeah. And the uh, more well-known live video in which a crowd of young people waiting in line to get to the video shoot is asked by Sam Kinison if they, the public, can make a better Bon Jovi video than these guys can. The crowd gives a very enthusiastic response, and members of the crowd are given handheld cameras and invited on stage to shoot the video. All right, so when we're talking about the two videos, I love the live on stage one. Mm -hmm. The one that they did was Kinnison, which, though fun in the very beginning with Sam, you know, doing his Sam thing. His shtick. Yeah. But then a lot of the video is shot at weird angles and cameras are moving. I don't deal well with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, not so much. I can only imagine. So what, what? what's your thoughts on this song? I'm a fan of older Bon Jovi stuff. I'm not a huge of his newer stuff for whatever reason. I just don't. I'm I'm there much, with you, man. I, but I was never a a mark. Okay, fair I enough. I mean, I enjoy it. I'm not going to skip past it. 
But they play the hell out of it. Even currently in rotation, they play the shit out of Bon Jovi. Especially Bad Medicine. Bad Medicine was one of those songs that I played so much mm. when it was first out that even as a huge Bon Jovi fan, it I would fast forward through it. I loved when DVDs came out because I was like, or um, CDs came out. I was just like, skip. Yeah. Or you give Love a Bad Name is another one, which I suppose could have made this list. Yeah, it could have. Um, and it was even with Pandora. It comes on, I'm just like, oh, God, I don't, really don't feel like listening to this. I don't hate the song. I just am right. not in the mood for it. Right, because it was so overplayed and so heavy in rotation. Like you said, even on the classic rock ones, uh, Bad Medicine, You Give Love a Bad Name. There's a few other ones where it's just like, come on, guys. These songs are 30 years old. Well, you know what? And that's the thing, too. Is, I mean, if you get artists who, I mean, I don't know how many albums he's actually put out. I'm guessing easily a dozen. Yeah, I think it's about 12 or 13. Because I've kind of stopped following, too, because after they they released an album called uh, The Circle, mm -hmm. which had about two good songs on it, and everything since then, I've just really not, it just really doesn't feel like Bon Jovi anymore. You know, and, and it's, speaking with the classic rock stations, I like the We Play Everything stations, like with the Moina was the bus, up here is the big cheese. right. Where they'll get those B-sides, or like listening to Nights with Alice Cooper, where he'll pull in some of those deep cuts. You've got bands like Bon Jovi, you've got, or Zeppelin, or Tom Petty, or ACDC, whatever, who have dozens of CDs, or dozens of albums, per se. And they still play the same damn five songs. You know what? Give us some exposure to new stuff. Make, make me a fan again. Let's, that's the way I'm going to put it. Make me a fan again. Because I already know I like it. Right. But reinforce it. Do, remind me why I like it. Best way to put it right there. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's next? We're going to go with some Offspring. Okay. The song is I Want You Bad by The Offspring. It was released in 2000, and it's it's a typical Offspring song. Um, it's kind of a, a faster, I guess you would maybe almost call them thrash or punk. Yeah, they, they, they edge a there. Punk, punk, I think. Yeah. I, it, yeah. Um, where I've always enjoyed it. Um, we'll just take a quick listen, and then we'll get it. want their significant other to change in some way shape or form and i have to say if they don't they're lying to you yeah because i know there's things that i would like to change but i'm not going to force it because what's the point you know yeah absolutely and i appreciate the fact that she does the same thing for me because i don't want to change i'm going to be a stubborn asshole about it and i'm not going to well you know at this point in our lives all of us <laughs> your wife my wife you and i we're all in that that right in that 40s era mm -hmm. you know we're all about 40 at this point in life, we're not going to change. No, and if it, if there is any change, it's going to be just like, it's, it's like a New Year's resolution where it's like, I'm going to change, but it's only going to be temporary. Yeah, it's going to last three, four weeks. I'm just being honest with you because everything about me is so ingrained in the way of, uh, as a person that it is, almost impossible, well, I shouldn't say almost impossible, but it takes true dedication and a lot of freaking hard work to change. Yeah, rewiring this machine right here is going to take more work than you're going to be willing to put up. I'll just put it that way. I can't disagree with you there. <laughs> Anyways, that being said, oftentimes they want them to, quote-unquote, be good or be nice or some bullshit like that. A perfect example of that is the lyrics of You're the One I Want from Greece," where she tells him you better shape up. Yep. I mean, you know. Because she needs a man. Right. <laughs> now, Dexter Holland, on the other hand, sings about what he wants for his woman, and is exactly opposite of that. Through the course of the song, he states his disappointment 
that the woman is too vanilla for his taste and that he wants her to be bad. Tattooed up with attitude, etc. I, I don't know I've ever really had everyone that's too nice before. I guess I've lucked out. I suppose, I suppose that, depending on what you mean by lucked out, I mean, my wife is very nice. It took me a long, long time to even get her to think about getting a tattoo. She finally got one. Really? She did. You know, it's great. I love women who have tattoos on them. That's one of the things I like. I got one. I'm not pushing for two. Tattoos or women? Tattoos, numbnuts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I get what you're saying uh, with this guy. He's trying to get that... He wants the bad girl. And, you know, and it, it's the classic thing. The guys always want the bad girl. The girls always want the bad boy. You always hear about the girl with the bad guy, though. It's never right. the other way around. Right. So this is kind of refreshing to hear it from the guy's point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but it's the same old story. What do you do when you have the bad boy? What do you do when you have the bad girl? They're going to be the hardest fucking people to take care of. You know, and I've never, I, I think because we've never really had to experience that. I mean, maybe it's easier than we thought. Who knows? Maybe. But I don't know. I don't have the patience for that shit. I don't either. Uh, you know what? I mean, in Offspring also has another song about, it's called Self-Esteem. Yep. Where, you know, she's just a complete bitch to him. Right. And because he's got low self-esteem, he, he sticks, sticks with her. Yeah. And it makes her dessert for the song. Maybe this is the follow-up to that I, song? I don't know, but I, I couldn't do it. Or no, I suppose this would be the prequel to that song. He asked for it. He got it. And it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, it's, yeah, kind of. I, I, no, I couldn't do it. So I'm I'm glad with good. I'm glad with the level of bad, you know, because yeah, she's got a few. T she's actually got more, way more than I do. Um, I think she's at six now or seven. Okay. And I've got two. All right, fair enough. You know, so I mean, do I want her to be like the the bad vinyl person? No, not really my thing. But I don't say it's a bad thing. But who knows? Maybe yeah. after hearing this, she'll be like, okay. Let's give that a shot. And then you'll be like, oh my God, this is my thing. <laughs> to be continued. Not on this podcast. <laughs> anyway. What, what do you have to say about the song? About the song? I actually um, don't know the song. The one Offspring song I know is Low Self-Esteem. Really? Not even the Keep Them Separated song? Is that Offspring? Yes. Okay, then I know two Offspring songs. Or let's see, how about Get a Job? Nope. Oh, if you heard it, I'm sure you'd know it. Maybe. But anyway, I have nothing to say about the song. Okay, so what do you have to say about your next song? All right, my next song is the... It, it is the bad song by Michael Jackson. <laughs> okay. So it's a, it's a song by American artist uh, Michael Jackson. Bad was released by Epic Records in 1987. The song was written and composed by Jackson and co-produced by Quincy Jones and Jackson. Jackson stated that the song was influenced by a real-life story he had read about... Bad was well-received by contemporary music critics, with some critics noting that Bad helped Jackson's image become edgier during the Bad era. Internationally, the song was also commercially successful. The full version of the music video for Bad, released in 1987, and broadcast as a CBS primetime special, and I remember that, do you? Oh, I do too. Was directed entirely by Martin Scorsese and co-starred Wesley Snipes in one of the first appearances prior to being discovered as an actor. The video portrays Michael Jackson and various backup dancers showing performing complex choreography in a subway station. Here, let's take a listen. So 
Jackson plays a teenager named Darrow, who has just completed a term at an expensive private school. He returns to the city and takes the subway back to his neglected neighborhood. Darrow finds his home is empty, where he is greeted by his old friends. The leader of the group, Minnie Max, an emerging Wesley Snipes, at first relations are friendly but slightly awkward. Then the situation begins to deteriorate as the gang starts to realize how much Daryl has changed. They especially notice how uncomfortable he has become with their criminal activities. Daryl takes the gang to the subway station in an attempt to show his friends he is still bad by robbing an elderly man. He has a change of heart at the last minute and Minnie Max chastises him, telling Daryl he's no longer bad. After more disrespect from Minimax, the video cuts to Daryl and a group of street kids dancing while Jackson sings the song Bad. Daryl insists that Max is headed for a fall, which is nearly Daryl's undoing. Eventually, Minimax accepts that, and after a final handshake, leaves Daryl in peace. At the end of the video, Daryl is left alone, watching his gang leave. You know, I like the song Bad, but when you break it down to what it really is, it's Michael Jackson trying to be tough. And it doesn't work. No, no, not at all. You know, it doesn't work. Michael Jackson, I don't know, maybe maybe when the cameras were off, he'd kick your ass. But it is not in his persona that he had while he was alive. I would be more fearful of Wesley Snipes. Yeah, I would too. And this is before even seeing Blade. <laughs> because that would really freak my ass out. Now, as far as it goes, Michael Jackson... I like a lot of Michael Jackson's library. He's got a lot of good music. Oh, he does. There was a disco album off the wall. We can discard that. But other than that, I mean, up even into some of his new stuff, I really enjoy, like, um, the history two-CD mm -hmm. set, where there's one CD that's got the old stuff, the hits, and then there's one new CD that's all new music, which includes the song Scream mm -hmm. that we talked about a couple podcasts ago. Sure. So, you know, I like the song Bad. But when you watch the video or the short movie or whatever you want to call it, directed by Scorsese, and I get what Scorsese was trying to do in that video, I just don't think Michael pulled it off. No, not really. Um, did you, uh, just kind of taking a sidestep here, did you watch the This Is It video documentary on Michael Jackson? No, I have not yet. I've heard very good things. Uh, it always rented when I was working at Blockbuster back in the day. I have not gotten a chance to watch it because I'm not that big of a fan for it. Just curious on that one. I would agree. I don't think he pulled it off. Um, I don't think he could pull it off, honestly. No, no. And I'm sorry. I think he pulled off Beat It better. Yeah, but he still didn't really pull that off either. Well, maybe not with the red jacket. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry, but this is probably just me. But every time I see that opening sequence, I cannot think of anything but Weird Al. Well, yeah, now, because you and I being Weird Al fans... Because of the shot-for-shot -shot remake of that and right. of Beat It, for that matter... And have we talked yet about just doing a Weird Al episode? We talked about it. I think that's down the road. I think we have a few other ideas in front of it. Yeah, I do too. But I think that would be awesome. Just an entire episode about Weird Al. That would be multiple parts because he's got a huge catalog. Oh, too. he does. And yeah, we would have to do multiple parts. But we're no stranger to that. We're in the middle of a multiple part series right now. This is true. <laughs> but anyway, so getting back to Bad. Like I said, good song. I, I think it fit the era that it came out in. Because that was really the first push against, like, uh, the big gangs. You know, that was the time era in um, 87. The, the Bloods and the Crips, they were starting to crack like, down like on Juice those. and South Central. or Right, exactly. All that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think it fit where it was. I think that um, Jackson tried to tell a story based on something he had read about a kid named Ben. 
And it worked in every aspect except Michael Jackson just cannot pull off being badass. You know, it's it's like the, the Sharks and the Jets from West Side Story. I'm sorry, it's just not badass. I mean, let's break into a number. You know, I, I think Zoolander was probably the same one. <laughs> yeah, so what do you got up next? All right, next we're going to go a little bit more hard rocking for you. We got Bad to the Bone by George Thorogood and the Destroyers. Yes. 1982, picture it. You got Lonesome George with his big old guitar. Yep. And he comes out and he gives us this bluesy rock song singing about how he's a been a total renegade since birth from the inside and out. Yeah, the doctor said he was bad to the bone. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. And we'll just, we'll go ahead and jump right into this one right away. But I was bad to the bone. Bad to the bone. Bad to the bone. Bad. bad as he is and how he mentions he is i should say he wants to be a one-woman man for his pretty baby since it's released the song particularly the opening riff uh riff i should say has become the perfect theme for when someone bad is about to, something bad is about to happen or a bad guy is about to show up on the scene the little monster kid from problem child comes in you play the music Al Bundy's about to do something funny. You play the music. <laughs> yep. I have to say, however, no other usage has capitalized on it and taken the total badass quotient off the charts better than when it was used when the Terminator walks out of the bar in Terminator 2. Okay. When he's walking out towards that Harley Davidson. I think it was a fat boy, and my dad can probably tell me if I was correct or not. Okay, good, because uh, I couldn't. All you see is black boots, and it's on. You know, and, you know, the bartender had big brass ones to try to stop Arnold from watching, <laughs> after watching his place get wrecked. Right. For Christ's sakes, the dude gets stabbed. He has a, a cigar put out on him. He gets hit over the back of the head with a pool cue and shattered, throws a guy through the window, throws a guy onto the grill, yet the guy comes up with a shotgun thinking he's going to do anything. Right. I mean, for real, well, you know what? you got to remember, though, human nature, it's the, the fight or flight thing, and he was obviously in the uh, fight category. Oh, he and was. You know, so he's been stabbed, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that was one step bigger. That was, I'm going to shoot him now. And, of course, that doesn't work because it's a fucking Terminator. And he just swipes it out of the guy's hands. Yeah. Anyway, I love this song. It oh, is, yeah. It is one of the, George is just amazing. Yeah. I mean, just, it's one of those songs, you know, he's talking about how bad he is. Like you said, from birth, doctors, nurses, leave this one alone. Then there's that soft undertone of, you know, I want to be this guy for this girl. I'm an asshole, but I'm a one-woman asshole. Right. Wait, was this song about you? There are other songs about me. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, it, it's a great song. And as I mentioned before, that opening riff, I mean, just that that guitar playing in the beginning, that's all you need. And yeah. it's instantly recognizable. Oh, yeah. You know exactly what's coming. And more than likely, if you're into this music at all, you know the words to go with it. Oh, hells yeah. So... So up next, I'm going to have a little fun. Okay. Okay, this is one of those songs, you know, a couple episodes ago, a few episodes ago, I guess. Now, we talked about entrance music for WWE. Oh, I know where you're going now. Okay. Every once in a while, you get an actual wrestler that tries to release music. And one of these wrestlers is John Cena. He did a song called Bad Bad Man, which was his entrance theme for a few years. It was released on an album called You Can't See Me. It was his debut studio album. It was John Cena and his cousin that went by the uh, moniker The Trademark. Yeah. 
Billed together as John Cena and the Trademark, it was released on May 10, 2005 by WWE Music Group and Columbia Records. The album features uh, sole guest appearances from Esoteric and Bumpy Nunkles, who featured on several songs throughout the album. The album production was handled by James McEwen and Todd Spadafore, and the duo serving as the executive producers on the album. The album's cover art is based on Cena's customized WWE Championship belt, The Spinner, while the title comes from his popular catchphrase coined on WWE television. The album debuted at number 15 on the Billboard 200 charts, with over 40,000 copies sold in the first week of its release. In the United Kingdom, the album peaked at number 103 on the UK album charts, and has since become a certified platinum album by the Recording Industry Association of America. Damn. Selling 1,346,000 units as of October 8, 2010. Let's take a listen to a bad, bad man. So the music video for Bad Bad Man spoofs 1980s culture and focusing on the television series The A-Team. The what series? The television series The A-Team, with guest stars like Gary Coleman and impersonators of Michael Jackson, Madonna, among other popular celebrities. The video is featured on the DVD for WWE's 2005 edition of Judgment Day. It's just a lot of fun and funnier than hell to watch. They got Bumpy Knuckles as B.A. Baracus. Mm-hmm. They've got um, his cousin, The Trademark, as uh, the crazy guy. I can't remember what his name was. Um, uh, Murdoch. Uh, yeah, Murdoch. Okay. And then John Cena. Colin Mad. Yeah. And then John Cena sports the white wig and this big cigar, you know, to be um, Hannibal. And the, the video is hilarious. The song, actually, for a hip-hop type song. It's not bad. It's not bad at all, especially when you consider it's a freaking wrestler singing it. Yeah. It's one of those songs. It's a lot of fun. The video is hilarious. If you're an 80s kid in any way, watch it. You're going to you're going to make some sort of a connection to something from the 80s. So, what do you what what are your thoughts? You were both wrestling fans. I, uh, I know you're not a John Cena mark. Uh, I'm becoming more actually a bit. Because he's a hell of a worker. And he's he shares my birthday. Okay. To the day. Really? The, the day, the year, and everything else. Wow. I'm a dumpy fat guy, and he's all ripped up and rich. So let's <laughs> do the math there. No. But, uh, no, I enjoy watching him. Um, the <laughs> And for the, for the record, screw you for making me do this song because it is this was an earworm for me. I can't get this <laughs> damn song out of my head. And it's not a bad thing because I'm actually enjoying it. Well, and the funny thing was, is when you told me that at first, that it, it was stuck in your head, I was sending him texts constantly with references to Bad Bad Man. And my reply, <laughs> because I wasn't in the same room as him, was knock it off, you prick. But uh, <laughs> no, it's it's still entertaining and I, I thoroughly enjoy it. So. All right. So what do you got next? Next, we're going to go with a little bit of Robert Palmer. Uh, we've got A Bad Case of Loving You, which also is known by Dr. Doctor. Yep. Um, the song came out in 1979. It's another song about romance with bad in the title. And Robert Palmer sings about being affectionate about his significant other and refers to it like a medical condition. Well, it kind of is. It can be. I mean, there's arguments across the board for that. Well, right. But I think it's more of a medical in the in the fact that it uh, affects your brain. Mental health. Yes. Behavioral health. 
something to that effect? Yeah, exactly. Well, let's just take a quick snippet listen. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. No pills gonna cure my ill. I got a bad case of loving you. You know, I didn't really realize how old this song was. I guess I didn't either. When I... you said 79, I went... Really? Yeah, I mean, I had to research this one, and when I was doing that, I'm like, holy crap, this song is, like, almost as old as Star Wars. Almost as old as we are. That's old. I know, right? <laughs> you know, and it's it's a good song. It still holds up. It's not one that kind of, it's it's dated, but it, you can't tell that by listening to it. Right, right. It, uh, the lyrics and everything with it, even the music, which is probably the only place you could place it as be and date it. Mm-hmm still stands up. I mean, the lyrics are universal. I, I think they are, they cross time pretty well. I mean, we still tend to speak very similar to the way we did in 79. So it's not sure. like a 1940s song where you listen to it and you're like, the hell are they talking about? I'm going to see my best gal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to ask, and maybe you will, maybe you won't. Do you remember when they used this for Dr. Pepper commercials? Yes. And that's, of course, that's not the kind of love I'm looking for. But I seem to remember this and the Don't You Wish You Could Be a Pepper 2 or whatever. Oh, yes, yes. But I just remember this song. I'm like, oh, God, you advertising people. I mean, I, I, I swear there's got to be somebody, and I know there is, who is out there and tries to find any possible connection of a song. To anything. To anything and put it out there. But, um, I mean, that's actually a, a really easy connection. Doctor, doctor. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not going to give him a hard time about that. I mean, you know, we talked earlier about, um, I think I Melt With You was one of them that right. you had for a uh, an earworm, I think. Guilty Pleasure. Or guilty Pleasure, that yeah. was it. But they had that for Burger King about some sandwich melt. Right, and here it's about two people having sex in the middle of nuclear fallout. So, I get where you're going on this one, but you... <laughs> Now, that being said, no, this is a great song. I mean, Robert Palmer was 50 when he died. And if I recall, both him and Falco, the Rock Me Amadeus guy, were on their way to actually making a comeback when they passed away. Which is unfortunate because I think Robert Palmer's music would have been a lot of fun to listen to in the, yeah. newer, in the newer era. I mean, he's got a lot of stuff out there. Um, not all of it's great. Not all of it's horrible. I think it would have been nice to see him have a do a comeback. But it is what it is. You know, unfortunately, uh, when you live the rock, rock star's lifestyle sometimes it catches up to you i think he had cancer so i don't know how the lifestyle was it i don't think so but i don't know or i'm a, not gonna a heart attack no i thought he had aids robert palmer i believe so okay well that's two things we have to look up yeah at. yeah we'll we'll do updates on the next episode i guess okay <laughs> all right what do you got next for us all right so the last one i have for today is um two out of three ain't bad it's a love song performed by the american musician meatloaf in his uh, in his solo career, it is a track off his 1977 album "Bad Out of Hell," written by Jim Steinman. It reached number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100 and earned a million-selling gold single from the RIAA. It stands as one of his career signature tunes, still enjoying recurrent airplay. It was the first. It was the final song written for the album. In a 2003 interview for the VH1 Ultimate Album Series, Jim Steinman recalls. I remember Mimi Kennedy, cast member of Jim's then-current musical, Rheingold, telling me, she said, you know, when I was probably complaining why no one liked my stuff and couldn't get a deal, she says, well, Steiny, your stuff is so complicated. 
Can't you write something simple? And while she was saying that the oldie station was on the radio and I was playing that old Elvis song, I want you, I need you, whatever it was. I want you, I need you, I love you, you know. I just started singing my own song, but it was, I want you, I need you, I love you. And she said, why don't you write something simple like that? I want you, I need you, I love you. I said, well, I'll try. I don't try to make them complicated. I remember going home and I tried so hard, but the best I could do was, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you. So don't be sad, because two out of three ain't bad. Okay, I'm going to stop right there, because so this was all me reading his interview stuff. He doesn't know how to give an interview. Not so much. All right. So it was still a twist, but it was my closest to a simple song, and one Elvis could have done. Here, take a listen. I have to disagree with him. This is not a simple song. No, no. Actually, it's pretty complex when you really think about it. Right. Uh, but I do really enjoy the song. Diamond, in my estimation, I really like the stuff Meatloaf has put out over the years, is on the level of writing of, like, Bernie Taupin when it comes to, you know, putting out songs that mean something and have a good, rounded edge to them. They can really be put as epic. I mean, they're In a lot like of cases, especially, especially on... Uh, Bad Out of Hell and Bad Out of Hell 2. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Very uh, rock opera-ish. And Meatloaf gives everything in every song he sings. If you've ever seen this guy live, amazing. If I got as into stuff that he, as he does on stage, I'd tip over dead. And now, granted, Meatloaf did tip over in one, episode, in one concert. <laughs> but that had something not to do with how much he was getting into his song. So how can this be anything but a good song? I mean... What are your thoughts, Lou? It can't. And as I mentioned before, I mean, it's one of those epic songs. You know, Bad Out of Hell and Bad Out of Hell 2, both of which have just a lot of really good, soulful, I mean, from the heart type music. I mean, even if it's not a straight up love song, it's still very emotional. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even if you got your straight up rock song or if you've got something like this or a song that's love and love and sex but kind of lighthearted, such as Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Right, yep. It's still got feeling. It's yeah. still the feels. <laughs> there we go again with the feels. <laughs> All right. Although Paradise by the Dashboard Light, he's trying for the feels, and he kind of gets cock-blocked. But... Well, until he says yes, and then he wishes the hell he had never said yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, round us out. What so do you got? we're going to round this out with Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. Okay. I'll... If we must. That's I ended it on this one. Okay. 2009, and I'm going to be the first to admit I've never been a huge Gaga fan. Okay, fair enough. Um, I think the ridiculous dresses are for attention, and that doesn't do it for me. I think you need to get attention other ways, such as in music, which fortunately she does. Yeah, you know, and I was never a big Gaga fan. I'm still not a fan of this song. But after seeing her this past year uh, at the Super Bowl halftime show, mm -hmm. that was flipping amazing and it wasn't the wild outfits and it wasn't all this stuff it was just her, her performance singing with a microphone and i was just like i i got done and i she went probably to puts on a hell of a show she does and i put i went to facebook and i said what i mean this was amazing mm -hmm. 
And I've seen her on um, with some of the acting with the American Horror Story. She plays the Countess of Vampire Countess. Oh, okay. And it was, I mean, it was pretty cool. Now, a friend of mine, his brother, actually either still does or used to think that she's one of the hottest and best musicians out there. Oh, no, no, no. She's... I don't see it. She's not ugly, but hot is not the word I would use for her. No. She's attractive in her own way. Yes. Okay. Now, let's just listen to the song real quick. Now, this actually kind of, how do I put this? Basically, here's my thought, is I don't see where she's the best and hottest musician, but I will say she's got a hell of a voice. Oh, yeah, she she's does. She's got an amazing voice, and even, you know, with her duets with Tony Tony Bennett. Yeah, which we looked at one of those on the duets episode. Yep, and as I mentioned before, you know, Tony Bennett can make pretty much anybody sound good, but he didn't really have much to lift her at all. No, and in fact, when, when listening to that, to that song that we used for the duets, I actually thought Tony kind of took away from what was there. Okay, I can see that. You know, I mean, at by the time he did this, he was an old man. And like all good things, as you get older, even voices go. Mm -hmm. And I thought he kind of took away from what Gaga did with the song. Okay, I can, be, I can buy that. But that is the closest I'm ever going to get to bad-mouthing Tony Bennett. Oh, God. I mean... <laughs> Like I said, it was, like we said in the duets, you know, they both sounded great. They worked off each other perfectly. And here she's just singing about being attracted to people who romance would really likely not work with. You know, some people do that all the time. You know, they want, they subconsciously, they know that they want something good, but subconsciously they're kind of sabotaging themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what the song's all about. It's a decent pop song that's been endlessly remixed and sped up for workouts. That's actually, if you can get the BPM fast, this is a great workout song. If you want to get into Lady Gaga or haven't been bitten by the Lady Gaga bug yet, you really cannot do, or you can't do more bad with this song. It's a good place to start. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's very poppy. There's been a, there, there was a remake done by um, Hailstorm, I believe. I believe so. And... You know, they, they mixed it up a little bit. It wasn't exactly a, a direct remake. I mean, it was as far as words and everything, but she took it to a level even above what Gaga could do with it. And I, I remember listening to it the first time when it was Hailstorm, and that I just happened to be playing music, and I wasn't really looking at what it was. And it came out, and I'm like, I know this song. I know this music. And, but then the vocals came out, and... You know, and it was just one of those things. I, I'm not a big fan of the song. It's just okay. I don't know what it is about it. I would rather listen to Poker Face. Oh, my God. I was hoping you wouldn't say that. I fucking hate that song. <laughs> I hate that song. I, uh, the second I hear that thing starts, it gets skipped or radio turned off. You had to pick the one song that is horrible. I don't think it's horrible. But anyway, that aside, I do want to remind everybody, we sit here and we talk about music. The reason we sit here and talk about music behind microphones is because we can't sing. So when we say bad things or good things about somebody, take it for what it's worth. It's what Lou and I think. It's it's not gospel. If you think we're we're completely off our off our minds, we're completely in left field when this goes on. You know what? You can let us know. There, there's a real easy way to do that, isn't there, Lou? Absolutely. All right. So what you can do is you can email us at musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com 
Or you can find us on Facebook at Musically Challenged Podcast. You can leave us a note in either place. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is. So with that being said, any final parting thoughts? No, I think we're good. I think we got this one uh, wrapped up. All right. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>